The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 41, Distilled Wisdom, Part 2. Jack continued his tale. Having vanquished the old Nick, at least for the time being, the tinker returned home in high spirits. His joy increased a hundredfold when his wife greeted him with his newborn son in her arms. Both mother and child were well, and the tinker felt like the richest man on earth. But fortune was fickle, he knew, and with a child to look after, he couldn't afford to let important matters slide where the future of his son was concerned. Right so, he exclaimed to his lady wife, the first order of business is to find the right sort of fellow to stand as godfather to our fine boy. No sooner had he said this than there was a knock on the door. It was the Lord Mayor of the town, dressed in his municipal finery, his heavy mayoral chain around his neck. Though the tinker had been considered of a lowly station, folk had spoken of his recently increased good fortune, and besides which, the mayor owned the land and the tinker's cottage. He judged that the couple had managed their rent even in leaner times, but as the mayor peered past the tinker into the tidy dwelling, he wondered whether there was a way he might broach a raising of the rates, perhaps, or some other small tax increase. Greetings, goodman, and felicitations. I have come to offer to stand as godfather at your heir's christening, for I know it is an important job to be undertaken by an upstanding member of the parish. The tinker shoved his avaricious lordship back across the threshold so sharply he landed flat on his charter. Upstanding member to my mind has a rather different meaning to it when applied to you, the tinker replied meaningfully, standing over the puffing, outraged official who was trying to scrabble to his feet with dignity and failing. You raise taxes and fees without warning and life in the parish never improves save perhaps for your rich friends. Poor folk have to shift for themselves and their neighbors as best they can. Nay, my lord, my son's godfather will not be you. He slammed the door shut and heard the Lord High Mayor go off in great high dudgeon. Sometime later, there was another knock at the door. A tall man stood before the tinker, dressed in padded silk and leather topped by royal armor that, though very shiny and beautifully engraved, looked about as much use in a real fight as a tinfoil jerkin. He carried a sword whose blade might have meant business, as long as that business was posing for a portrait. He inclined his head regally and blustered, I am the high king of all Ireland, come to serve as godfather to your son. When he comes of age, I will foster him in my court. You, the tinker asked, 
They call you High King of Ireland, and I question whether it's because you've never alighted from your high horse in the lesser realms until today. You as my son's godfather? You who oppress your people into paying for faraway wars for your amusement? You who can't even keep your own sons straight? Take yourself off, your highness. My son will have no godfathering at your hand. The High King, thus brought low, left at once. <laughs> That's probably treason, dear, sighed his good wife. If we have any other offers, you might mind your tongue. No sooner had she made her gentle remonstrance when there came another knock on the door. This one held the ring of heavenly authority. Oh, God, sighed the tinker's wife. The tinker opened the door to behold Almighty God, arrayed in blazing white and gold. He cleared his throat, but before he could begin, the tinker stopped him. You might be the good Lord, but you're not good enough to be godfather to my son. You who make us tithe the church so much in peril of our souls to build you fine churches where you disdain to abide. You who could bring fairness and compassion to the doings of those on whom you bestow power. But instead, let them run riot, full of cruelty and oppression in the name of free will. Be gone, I will not have you. And without a word, the good Lord went off in a swirl of stunned outrage. And that, my love, was blasphemy, his wife pronounced, shaking her head. Who is left, I wonder, to be godfather to our wee lad? She did not need to wonder long. There was a knock at the door that sounded like rattling bones. The tinker opened the door and beheld the specter that all mortals see at their end, even though it was barely his son's beginning. Overjoyed, the tinker grasped the Grim Reaper's bony hand in both of his own, pulled him into the house, fairly pumping the arm right off him in his excitement. Oh, death, you've come, you who come to all men in their time. You are worthy to be godfather to my boy. Death was utterly gobsmacked. No one had ever been happy to see him before, much less wanted to show him honor. When he had quite recovered from the shock, he reached into one capacious sleeve and pulled out a small stoppered cut glass bottle full of liquid. A grand idea, the tinker enthused, taking the bottle like a flask and looking for two glasses. We'll drink a toast to my son's future. No, exclaimed Death, don't drink that. That is the elixir of all healing. I am giving it to you as a gift, tinker, as well as a new profession. In recognition of your kindness to me and the honor you've shown me, henceforth you shall become a great physician, a healer in demand far and wide. Only you will be able to see me. And when you visit a patient near death, if you see me at the foot of the bed, administer three drops of this elixir and they will rise good as new. If, however, you see me at the head of the bed, know that their soul is mine and do not interfere. If you do, your soul is mine in recompense. The tinker thought this very fair dealing indeed, and he became a renowned healer almost overnight. His treatments brought about miraculous recovery, and when he judged there was nothing he could do, his words brought comfort and peace. 
And so he went on for many generations as a physician, becoming richer and more famous year on year, while hardly aging at all. One day, though, he was passing by a poor cottage in his fine carriage when he heard the wailing of a poor widow woman. She was surrounded by her neighbors, but they could offer no comfort in her grief. Oh, what will become of me if my son dies, she cried. The tinker stopped the carriage and swept up to the house, bowing low before the widow and asking if he might see the patient. We've, we've nothing to pay you with, your honor, the old lady said, drying her reddened face on her apron, hope lighting in her old eyes. The famous doctor entered and saw death fast asleep at the head of the bed. Oh, he thought, this wasn't fair. This one he shall not have. But he'd have to think of a plan in case death suddenly woke up. He knew him for a light sleeper. He went outside and saw some young lads mending a pen on the next farm. He called them over. The four of them came, curious but offering respectful greetings to the great doctor. Gentlemen, the doctor said, I have a patient in that cottage and I need to have his bed repositioned, turned so that his head and feet are reversed in orientation. It will speed his recovery. Could you each come and take a bedpost, and when I count three, gently but swiftly, lift the bed as one and spin it round? Wouldn't it be easier to just move the patient rather than the bed? asked one. The patient cannot be disturbed, the doctor affirmed gravely. The four young men followed the doctor within and prepared to take up a bedpost on his mark. Swift and lightly as thought, the bed was turned. The sick lad on the pillows did not stir, but death woke up to find himself at the foot of the young man's bed, just as the tinker administered the last of the three drops of elixir. The widow's son woke, calling to his mother for a cup of tea. The doctor took his leave amidst great rejoicing, except for death, who followed him out, fit to be tied. That boy was mine, Death fumed. Now you must take his place. Fair enough, said the tinker. But before we go, grant a dying man his last wish? Anything, Death replied magnanimously. In the garden at my old cottage, there's a wonderful apple tree. They should be perfectly ripe. Please go pick me one, said the tinker. My pleasure, Death responded, racing off to the tree like a mortal lifespan. He reached up for a fine rosy apple and his hand stuck. He reached up his other hand to free the first and it stuck too. He put his foot against the trunk to tear his hands away and his foot stuck. Soon he was stuck to the tree by all fours, his robes flapping in the breeze in a most undignified manner. The tinker followed some time later and looked up at death, treed like a too curious cat. He plucked his own apple and bit into the delicious fruit, explaining, There's a spell on that tree. No one takes an apple without my say-so, but gets stuck until I say so. Let me down, Death growled. I like this healing lark, so I think I'll keep it up for a wee bit longer, if it's all the same to you. And the tinker went away, healing people for a hundred years. When he returned, Death was still hanging on the apple tree. With a wave of the tinker's hand, he was suddenly released, falling at the base of the tree in an enraged, raggedy heap. 
death stalked off and got busy, making up for a hundred years without himself in the world. When at last he caught up with the tinker, he pointed a bony finger saying, You are still mine. Right so, agreed the tinker, but since I've done rather well for myself doctoring, just let me draft my will. When I'm done, we can go. Death saw the sense in that, but soon noticed his erstwhile partner was writing prolifically and very, very slowly. You can't take eternity with your task, Death objected. True enough, the tinker agreed, lighting half a candle. When this burns down, I'll be done and we can go. The tinker set the candle down to light his work and wrote a few more lines. Then he suddenly pinched the candle out and threw the stub out the window, where it sank into a bog. It'll never burn down now, he called happily, packing away his will and writing things into his medical bag and leaving on his rounds. Death was so furious, he stared at the bog until the heat of his gaze dried it up, about another hundred years. He fished out the candle stub, burnt it to nothing, and confronted the tinker once more. Now we go, he said. Fine, the tinker hung his head. But I've lived a long life, and though I dare say I've done my share of good deeds, I've also committed many sins, to be sure. Allow me a last prayer. When I say amen, we'll be off. Death agreed. The tinker began to recite a well-known prayer, but jumped up all at once, crying, I've never been a praying man, and I'm damned if I'll start now. He went on his way, treating all who crossed his path. By and by, he came across a wretched creature, dressed in grey, but seeming to be no more substantial than mist. And what might you be? the tinker asked. A lost soul! Pray with me, good sir, that I may rest! Fundamentally good fellow that he was, the tinker prayed in earnest for the lost soul. When he said amen, the grey mist evaporated and death stood over him. Now we go and I choose where. Downstairs with you, death thundered. Fine with me, the tinker smirked, recalling an encounter long ago on a certain boggy bit of ground. When they arrived and the tinker was announced, the brimstone sconces lining the last of the wide road to hell poofed out one by one. The minor demons chittered away in fear. Tinker, the devil's voice called out nervously, I said you and I would never have anything to do with each other forevermore. Upstairs then, Death sighed. When they arrived at the pearly gates, St. Peter came out with his book and ran a saintly finger down the entries. He saw the tinker's wife, even his son. But when it came to the man himself, there was a curious footnote. St. Peter blushed, blanched, and slammed the book shut. Going back through the pearly gates so quickly, he got a bit of his celestial undergarments in a twist in the door. What am I going to do with you now, Death moaned. I can't have you riding my coattails for eternity. How about turning me into an animal? Everyone knows they don't have souls, the tinker suggested brightly. Done, cried Death. What do you want to be? I think I should like to be a salmon, swimming in the rivers of the world, the tinker said thoughtfully. 
And so, like St. Mungo, the tinker became a salmon, swimming in the river. Fishermen to this day say that there's a wise old salmon with freckles on one shoulder, seen all around the world, whispering such stories and wisdom that he is the most prized catch of all. But no one has been able to do it yet, and perhaps they never will. Jack pressed the hot key. Eight of spades. An infinity of misfortune on you all, Baba Yaga pronounced. You might just be begging for death by the time I'm done. Jack has lost his mother. Lucas is homeless, never a good thing for a stranger in a strange land. And Isabel, darling, when did you last hear from your brother? The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.